Is this better? Oh, there we go. Well, I know I have a loud voice and everybody could hear me. Normally Tom has me turned on, so I don't have to mess with those things. So blame Tom. Anyway, in, <laughs> in songs as well, and actually the first song we sang today was Blink by Revive. It's a relatively new song on the Christian scene. And the first time I heard it, it literally almost drove me to my knees as I was thinking about it. And that line, before today becomes our yesterday. And you can ask Mary and the kids. I sing it around the house, which mortifies my daughter no end. Um, it really pulls me in. Sometimes in reading, the same thing happens. And back when I was in Bible study fellowship, we were studying Hebrews. And um, Hebrews 12.1 really struck me. And at the time, it struck me for several reasons. I want to read it for you first. Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. At the time, and I'll go into this a little bit, I was involved with some called venture racing, which I still am, but that run with perseverance the race marked out for us. For me, I equated it to athletics, but other people I've talked to have talked about, yeah, it can mean athletics, those marathon runners or triathletes, but also running the race of employment. Ugh, that's, you know, a never-ending race, it seems like. Or if you're in school, it seems like school never ends. You're always running, trying to get the grades up. I know I went through high school, undergraduate, med school, residency, and I'm still working on a master's. So it seems like that'll never end. In the family life, sometimes it seems like the race is never going to end until that blink and you look back. What we're talking about here, though, is a race of faith. Well, I'm going to draw a comparison to some of the lessons that I've learned in venture racing. When I started out putting the sermon together literally years ago, I ended up with about 20 points <laughs> and about four subpoints on each. I've trimmed it down, so this is just what I would call an overview. Uh, some of these I hope that you will take and you probably know and re-exam. Others you may not have thought about. For the last 10 years, as the picture up here show, although it's kind of kind of dim it looks like, and I apologize for that, I've done what's called adventure racing. The Wikipedia definition of adventure racing is a combination of two or more endurance events, including orienteering, if you use an orienteering map, or navigation, if you use a non-orienteering map, cross-country running, mountain biking, paddling, climbing, and related rope skills. The picture up there, it's hard to see. You obviously have somebody reading a map. Um, up there in the top right, um, people up front can probably see, it's a friend of mine who's pulled himself across Cagle's Mill to about 150 feet over the water for 200 feet. That's the rope skill. Tommy. <laughs> You're doing me. Okay. On the bottom is actually the second marathon that we did in Primal Quest, which was a 10-day, 600-mile multi-sport race. Down here at the bottom are two friends of mine who waterboarded in Class 4 and 5 rapids in the uh, spring melt-off in uh, the New River as part of a race. So it's multiple events, and it's an endurance event, running with perseverance. Our spiritual race is the same way. There are multiple disciplines. Go through the Bible, you'll find where they are. But we have to run with perseverance. But over the last 10 years, I want to hit a couple points I've learned. The first is you have to know about the race. In order to race... You have to know about it. It's the same with our Christian walk. If you don't know about Christ, how are you going to know to run the spiritual race? You know, there's ways that this happens. Some, and venture racing is a great example, you might hear people talking about it and it intrigues your interest. 
Or maybe you see something on TV. Primal Quest was on ABC on a, a three-weekend event. Um, can grab you in. Same with our Christian faith. Billy Graham and his crusades on TV. Wonderful. You may hear something on uh, K-Love or another Christian radio station. But the most frequent way that somebody knows about a race is to be invited. When I was invited into adventure racing, it was a mentor of mine at residency. And he heard me asking questions about it. He said, why don't you just come and race with us? It's the same with church. I don't know the exact statistics. Somewhere around 85% plus comes to mind. People that attend church and give their life to Christ do so because they heard from somebody about Christ and were invited to come to church or to a small group or to a Bible study and to get involved. Well, if you're not an evangelist, which I am not, um, I don't have that gift. It doesn't excuse you. The most introverted person, which I'm not, but the most introverted person from the time they are born till they die, Tim Elmore states in his book, Nurturing the Leader Within Your Child, will have contact with 10,000 people. Now, that's somebody that does not seek out, does not evangelize, does not go out and become the extrovert. So, if you're the most introverted person, by the time you die, you're going to touch 10,000 people. Of those 10,000, how many have you talked to Christ about? I can tell you, in good faith, that I have talked to more about Christ than I have adventure racing, but it's a lot easier for me to talk about adventure racing and to invite somebody, or bully, as the case may be, to come try adventure racing. But adventure racing is an event. It's a great thing. It keeps you in shape. You make great friends, and you do things you might never do. But it's not timeless. A relationship with Christ is what is timeless. That is what we should be thinking of. So in these 10,000-plus people you impact... Think about inviting them to the spiritual race. The second one is the rules are there to protect you. I'll be honest. I hate rules. (laughs) I grew up hating rules. Um, I was the type of kid that if you drew a line in the sand, I would be four feet past it before you could even finish drawing it. Um, But in my 40-plus years of life, I've learned through maturity, my six years in the Navy, being a parent and adventure racing, that rules are important. In adventure racing, part of the excitement is you don't know what it's going to be. You have a start, you have an end, you have different gaps, but they don't reveal the course to you. That's part of the the joy of it. But the race director, the person responsible for putting the race together for the safety, always has a rule sheet. And that rule sheet there is to try to keep the racer safe. And a great example of this was in 2004, I was racing Planet Adventure. It's a local 24 to 36 hour race in Indiana, the longest one in the Midwest. And uh, Jerry, who's the race director, great guy, put down, do not go on this road, either biking or trekking. And that was it. Sometimes you'll get, they'll say, it's an unfriendly neighbor or we don't have permission to be there. It's private property. Just said, do not go on the road. And we weren't carrying GPSs, so they couldn't look back and see if people went on there. It's an honor system. We didn't, but other teams that did, we found out, They called him Ernie, I don't know what his real name was, was a vicious dog that literally would attack you if you were on the bike or running. And by the time you got in, you could tell that you had broken the rules. Jerry put it in there to protect you. In the Navy, I learned that rules there, no matter how stupid it seemed, were there to protect, were there to prevent things from cascading and getting worse, which can cause death, which can cause you know, literally millions of dollars. I was on a nuclear submarine, and our nuclear missiles were tens of millions of dollars. Cumulative errors could knock one of those out. Biblically, look at the Israelites. God provided a base set of rules. 
And when you go through the Old Testament, you see when they obeyed his rules that he established, they prospered, they were safe. But when they didn't, they wandered the desert for many years. They had their cities taken. They were enslaved. In Psalm 119, verses 3 through 5, the psalmist writes, They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. The psalmist acknowledges it's tough. But the point is rules keep us safe from what we don't know can hurt us. A great example I heard on the radio the other day was this. If you have kids or you have been, everybody's been a kid, you have a great big backyard, parents fence it in. You have freedom in that backyard. You're safe for the most part in the backyard. Kids don't see that. They see the fence as a barrier. Why am I stuck with these rules here? There's freedom on the other side. The grass is always greener. But reality is the children at the time don't see what can hurt them, whether it's a child predator that's going to take them away. It's the creek in the backyard where they could drown. It's the dog next door. The rules are there to protect you. And as we grow in our faith, we understand that. I look at some of the rules, even biblically, that I thought when I first became a Christian, why? Why are these here? And I'm starting to discover that they're there to protect us. If it doesn't seem like it makes sense, ask why. See why the rules are there in keeping you safe. The next point is you have to read a map. It's a copy of a map, but that's a navigation map, not an orienteering map, um, from one of the races that we did last year. And you cannot race without the map, period. You cannot race. You cannot follow another team because you may not be able to keep up. There are different paths people take. You must be able to read the map. Our map as Christians is God's word. You cannot race with Christ if you do not follow God's word, if you are not in God's word, period. Hebrews 4.12 states, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. 2 Timothy chapter 3.16 and 17. Here Paul's writing to Timothy. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for good work. It's our guide. If you are not in the word, you will not be able to run this race. But everybody reads a map differently. That map that was back up there, I look at it, I see the highs and lows, I form a mental terrain picture, and I race based on that terrain picture. One of my racing partners measures every little thing with a little scale, and he will pace out 50 yards, 1.2 kilometers, everything around, and that's how he races. Yet we both work together on the team to move ahead. It's the same when it comes to reading the Bible. For the longest time, I tried and struggled. I'm going to read 30 minutes a day. I'm going to journal my thoughts. I'm going to make this work. God, show me the verse. It didn't work for me. It hasn't. Instead, what I've found is when I'm preparing for lessons or maybe I hear a verse or I sit down and read for a couple minutes and grab that verse, then I springboard off of it. I'll go to BibleGateway.com because I can flip the electronic pages a lot quicker than I can my Bible pages, going back and forth, reading commentaries. That's how I build my map. There's no right or wrong way as long as you're in the map, and you need to be with the map daily. A little while ago we did um, an opportunity where you could get the Bible on a video cassette or a CD and put it in your car. Um, and about 30% of the church really thought that was great. They'd plug it in their car when they are driving. They could listen. For me, it sat right there. I, it didn't work for me. That's not good or bad, but find what it takes to get you in the Word. Well, once you have the map, you have to know where you're going. 
at the start of the race, again, besides the rule sheet, you're given this sheet that shows what they call checkpoints, where you go on the way from start to finish. And the way in between is your choice, as long as you stay within the rules. And what you look at as a team is you look at the strengths and weaknesses. We have a killer biker on the team I usually race with. He literally biked pro mountain biking. We strap on bungee cords behind him, and he tows us, and we do everything we can to stay on the bike. Others excel at navigation. You put them in a woods, and they are just boom, 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 boom. They're all the way through it. But no matter what, you have to know where you're going to go. I preached a sermon on God's will about six months ago, I believe, and this addressed part of it. I'm not going to redo the sermon here, um, but I wish to make the points that God has given us free will. We have a beginning and an end, and we have points he wants us to do, and using his roadmap, We should get there, but we have to listen to God, have to listen to the Holy Spirit. So how do we connect? We have the map, prayer, and all things be in prayer, God's Holy Spirit and connecting with God. I'm going to make a plug here for our small groups. Several of the small groups are going to be starting to set up these sacred pathways. What that is is a book that looks at the different ways people connect with God. And there's nine different major ways. And not everybody's in one particular category, but most people have one or two ways they connect. I can tell you that I'm what they call a sensate. I worship by the sights, the sounds, the feels. That's why I love being in worship band. Now, I'm preaching today. I could have stepped down from worship band today, but I feel I preach and learn better when I'm actually playing, actually into the worship. But what I am not is what they call an enthusiast, somebody that celebrates the mysteries and the excitement and enthusiasm of worship. An example would be like the Pentecostal church. It shuts me down. It's not for me. It's not good or bad. There's great Pentecostal churches that do wonderful things for the world, but I know I don't worship there. I don't connect to God in Pentecostal worship. So as you're looking where you're going and you want to know what God wants you to do, If you don't know your spiritual pathway, I encourage you, whether it's through small groups or pickup, it's by Gary Thomas, Spiritual Pathways. Learn what it takes for you to worship God. And you should also be in small groups anyway. But one warning on this, because I fall into this sometimes, don't covet your neighbor's spiritual pathway. Again, for the longest time, I wanted to be intellectual. When you look at the people that made differences in church, it seemed like they were the ones that were the intellectuals. It's not me. I can read through four commentaries and barely keep my eyes open. It doesn't link. But I can crank up Sonic Flood and pray to God, and I'm connecting. Find what works for you. Second last point is you have to develop new skills. You can't advance to greater challenges without developing new skills. When you start out in adventure racing, unless you're one of these what we call freaks of nature, you start off with normally a 6- to 12-hour race, and it'll be simple. A little bit of biking, probably not even much off-road, a little bit of on your feet running, a little bit of navigating, and then you're done. But as you go through your time in adventure racing, most people go to longer and longer. The pinnacle is Primal Quest, 10 days, 600 miles, or Raid the North in Canada, which is a 7-day, 500-kilometer race. You have to build your way to it. Well, as Christians, we're to do the same. The writer of Hebrews expressed his frustration with the Jews when in um, chapter 5, verses 11 through 13, he said, We have much to say about this. But it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Back in the early church, 
the same thing. We're not to stay where we're at. We're called to grow spiritually, to move on this race, to take bigger and greater challenges. Is it going to be easy? No. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians in chapter 6, 4 through 10. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying yet we live on, beaten yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. Nobody said our spiritual journey is going to be easy, but we need to press forward on it. I want to use the example of Peter from the New Testament. He was a fisherman, the first ones called by Jesus. I don't know if you've studied the times, fishermen were not considered intellectual elites. They were not considered a, a priority person. They were not a rabbi. They were not a scholar. They were not even bakers. They were almost the bottom, not quite. So here's somebody that's considered near the bottom of society who comes forward after training by Jesus, after Pentecost, preaches a message, unlearned that he is, where 3,000 people become saved, spends the rest of his life in ministry, in leadership, eventually being martyred, and according to church historians, by being crucified upside down because he did not consider himself worthy to be crucified by Christ, all from a fisherman who started a journey. Who knows where our spiritual journey is going to be in this life? We know how it ends with Christ in heaven once you accept him. But what's it going to be? If you'd asked me 20 years ago, and this is the 20th anniversary of my rededication and rebaptism, if you'd asked me 20 years ago if I would have been elder chair preaching a message and helping lead a church, I would have laughed at you. Um, I don't know what God has in store for me from here, but every day I pray that I would do it a little better and a little further. Have I stumbled? Absolutely. Everybody does. But keep pushing forward. Final point I want to make is in the end, it's all going to depend upon you. Nobody's going to force you to race the race, whether it's an adventure race, whether it's the spiritual race. Nobody holds a gun to your head and says, you must become saved. This is a gift that's freely given from God, the death of his son for our salvation, and he gives us free will to choose it. Once you accept that, you've accepted Christ as your Savior, and you start on the race, there's a team to help you. There's your church. There's your other Christian friends. They can mentor. They can support. They can encourage. But the bottom line is only you can keep moving forward on the race. In adventure racing, there was a great example of this in Primal Quest. It was on the TV. It showed a team, and this guy who started to have uh, problems with his feet. His teammate, one of them, literally carried him five miles through the desert. They stripped all his gear off, tried to get going, but in the end he said, I just couldn't do it, and he quit, despite his team saying they would carry him the whole way. Our spiritual race is the same way. As we go through the highs and lows, the ups and downs, we need to be aware that we have people to support us, and this church is here, but you have to look at the mirror. You have to dedicate yourself to finishing the race. This last slide here, before we exit the teaching time, on the right up there, okay, that's me. On the right up there, it starts with accepting of Christ and baptism, an exciting, wonderful time. 
it ends with, and that's an artist's portrayal of heaven, meeting Jesus in heaven and what it's like. We know our beginning. We know our ending points. But how's it going to be in the middle? Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So my challenge before we go to this next section is, how are you going to live this race? If you've not started on this race, we want to help you start. If you've not accepted Christ, see Mike, see one of the elders. We'd be happy to sit and talk. If you have, and maybe you aren't going as fast as you want to, how can we help with that? Let people know. Maybe you're a superstar, a freak of spiritual nature, and you're just pounding along like a marathon runner, clicking off the miles. How can we support you in that? But how are you going to run the race? Only you can decide that. Well, as was said earlier, this is the section where I want to talk about leadership's where we're at. As uh, Rick shared, it's been a little over 13 months with no senior minister. I am encouraged. The search team actually has uh, got several excellent candidates, and we're very hopeful that hopefully soon this will be ending. That being said, where are we at? Well, according to Bill Hybels, he's the senior pastor up at Willow Creek, a very large church in Chicago. There are five seasons in a church. Growth, where church is growing in numbers and uh, spiritual disciplines, in uh, their outreach. Consolidation, where things come back together, you refocus. Sometimes it's after a period of growth where you try to assimilate everybody in. Sometimes it's just after a change. Transition, we've been saying for the last 13 months we've been in transition because we have. Our senior minister moved on to other opportunities. Uh, the one that all leaders dread is malaise, where the church slowly dwindles away, nobody's involved, and eventually you close your doors. And like Rick said, we've been 19 years here. We continue not only to motor on, but to change lives. So we're not in malaise. And reinvention, where you look at things and say, things aren't going the way we want to go. Lord, how should we go? Leadership, by our own admission, for the last 13 months we've been in transition. But today, we're publicly stating our period of transition is over. We are moving forward. Do we have a senior minister in the pulpit yet? No. But instead of waiting for an entire transition, we're going to focus on reconsolidating and looking to reinventing the church. Now, I'm not talking about crazy reinvention, but we have been between 90 and 150 on and off for, oh, six, seven, eight years. And for a variety of reasons, things go up and go down. But we're, as leaders, not going to wait for the next minister to come in and kind of help us right the ship. With that in mind... We've looked at the vision and the mission of Prairie View, and it's written down on the website. You can find it written there, but you know, like most people, it's something that's there. Haven't really thought about it. Actually, one of our uh, elders said, I never look at the vision and mission of anything. And as we talked about it, you said, it's a great idea, but it doesn't do much for me. But what it does allow us to do is to refocus where we're at as a church, what we're going to do, what God is calling us to do. So as we looked at this, um, and we looked at what Prairie View has been historically and where we're going to be moving, uh, we discovered a couple things. One, we're not a mission church. Do we do missions? Absolutely. Are we going to continue to support missions? Yes, we're called biblically to do so. But there are churches out there where their entire purpose is missions. Whether it's 51% of everything they bring in goes out to missions, 
Every member in the congregation is doing a mission, whether it's short-term or long-term. That's their focus. We support missions, but that's not Prairie View now or likely in the near future. There are what they call seeker-only churches, evangelism-only churches, churches that want to outreach. They bring people in. They get to know Christ, but that's their focus. That's not good. That's not bad. There's a purpose for evangelism. We are not an evangelism-only church. Are we going to continue in evangelism? Yes. But that's not what we're morphing into where we're just going to focus only on evangelism. The third type of church is a discipleship-only church. These are where you're already a Christian. You come in and you just dive into the Word. You dive into study. That's all you do. They might be 120 people, the same 120 people, plus or minus 10 for 30 years. And they can do great things as they spiritually grow. But again, that's not us. Do we need discipleship? Absolutely. We're not saying we're not going to do discipleship, but we aren't going to turn ourselves in. So when we looked at and revamped our mission and vision, that's what we had in the back of our minds. The mission, if you want to get down to the oh, business aspect of a mission, is the purpose for the being of the church or any organization. The vision is what's the future. Bill Hybels puts it as it's a picture of the future that produces passion in people. That's his of a vision. When we look at a mission and vision, what are we looking at? Our new mission at Prayer View, it's succinct. To follow the way, to teach the truth, to share the life. That's based out of John 14:6, where Jesus is speaking. And he says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As we break this down to follow the way, we just talked about running the spiritual race. People have to get on the way. We need evangelism. People need Christ. Yet when you're on the path, how can the church continue to support you? Now, are we going to form a small group for redheaded males that are left-handed that have twins? No. That's not realistic. Are we going to use whatever resources we have to focus in on evangelism and discipleship? Absolutely. To teach the truth. This is an interesting thing because people will tell you now, truth is relative. Actually, Our group did the Truth Project based out of Focus on the Family, a very great study looking at truth. Truth is black and white, but how can you take black and white to a gray world? If you have a seeker out there, how can they learn the truth of Christ and what it means? If you are already a Christian, how can you apply and grow in the truth and mature? One verse that I want to read, because this has really struck me over the years, is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. So whether you eat or drink... Or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. I had a great example of this just last week when I worked at Howard in the ER. I listened to three young nurses, probably late 20s, early 30s, talking about how they were shunned from the church. One of them was living with her boyfriend or fiancé of three years. And they walked in and somebody literally told them, we don't allow fornicators in our church. And in her mind right there, that outruled the church. Now, what's going to happen later? I don't know. She has to run her race. I don't even know if she's accepted Christ. But as she was sharing that, that is what she thinks the church is about. Jesus, when you looked at him, reached out to the sinners. He brought truth to them. And it's not easy. It's how do we love people to Christ, demonstrating God's love but also teaching the truth to ourselves. As said before, the 
spirit of, uh, let me go back there because I'm going to mess it up if I don't. But, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So, if we're going to continue in our race, how are we going to continue unless we grow in the truth? And the final, to share the life. It's the Christian life. First is the eternal life with Jesus Christ forever. That picture, that artist's rendition. If you're a Christian, you have that. People need to know that or to be eternally separated from God. We're called to do that. But also that there is freedom found in living in a life devoted to Christ. That freedom, we talked about the rules. We don't understand them sometimes. They're there to protect us. But we need to demonstrate God's love living in a Christian life. The Prairie View's vision. Proverbs 29:18 states, Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. Or another version says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Not physically dying, but they lose their will. They aren't focusing on what God's going on. Prairie View Christian Church's vision is to help our community actively pursue their walk with Christ. I want to break this down for you. Help our community. We can define the community in many ways. We can say the community believers around the world, which is what a missions church would say. We're going to support them. That's the community. What we as leaders, talking with the congregation, is we're going to focus on 141st Street and Allisonville Road and our surrounding physical community. There are many people around here that do not know Christ, or if they do, they really don't. That's what we're going to focus on. Actively pursue their walk with Christ. Again, their walk with Christ. They don't know Christ. They need to. How can we start them on their path, on that journey, on that race? If they're already there, if we're already there, how can we continue to actively pursue Christ? But the secret of this is not, this is for the greater glory of Prairie View. We want to build a mega church. We want to build, you know, something that's for the glory of look at what we've done. This is for Christ's glory, for the work he's called us to do. That's why we want to make sure the last word there, Christ, is emphasized actively pursue their walk with Christ. This is about Christ, not Prairie View. In a sermon I was listening to uh, in preparation one time, Gary Thomas, the author of Sacred Pathways, has this quote, If your need for worship can be met in an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday, then your need for worship is far too small. That's a hobby, not a lifetime of devotion. There are many people, maybe some of us here, that think their devotion is here at an hour and 15 We want to change that. We want to change the pursuit of Christ. We talked about this mini vision that's going on the next four months. We have our vision to help our community actively pursue their walk with Christ. But as we, as a church body, ready to do that. So the leadership is challenging the entire congregation, including ourselves, in the next four months to rededicate yourself to the walk with Christ. And if you haven't dedicated Christ yet, please, Talk to one of us. Again, I want to emphasize we're here to get you started on the path and to help you. Leadership takes it seriously enough that despite the fact that all of us serve on multiple committees, do multiple things around the church, we have elders where we have a separate study we've been doing in addition during our elder time, we're going to do one more study on top of it, trying to bring ourselves to that next level as well in being leaders of the church. So in the next four months, we're asking people to rededicate themselves. Now, maybe I'm going to use a medical example. You know I have to every time I preach. That's my profession. 
There's a disease called congestive heart failure where the heart backs up fluid. One of the ways you check and see how well you're doing is every morning, first thing you do after you go to the bathroom is you weigh yourself. If your weight's going up, your disease is getting out of control. If in your walk with Christ, you aren't anywhere where you need to be, you're diseased, you need to look at yourself every day. Get an accountability partner. Every day, re-examine yourself and see where you're at over the next four months. Make it a life over the next four months. Every day. Say you're doing good. We call it the weight loss phenomenon. People who want to lose weight want to weigh themselves every day. Don't do that. It's frustrating. You're going to have ups and downs. But if you're clicking along in your life and you're doing good, at least every week, look back over the week. Look at what you've done. Have you improved your walk with Christ? And finally, for those super freaks of spiritual nature out there that are just running, we want to do what we can to support you. But monthly, look back. Make sure you haven't dropped off. When we get to the end of the year, we're going to ask the congregation to look back and are we ready to help our community actively pursue? The Mini Visions community is focusing on the church right now, getting us ready. But at the end of the year, Lord willing, we're going to have a senior minister here and we're going to start rolling things out and we're going to try to impact this community around us. Are you going to be ready to do it? And that's our mini vision. So I challenge you to look at every sermon. What can you take out of it? Whether it's a guest speaker, an elder, a candidate, what can you take out of it? If you're not involved in a small group, whether it's here at the church or elsewhere, get involved. Don't have a hobby. Get off that hobby horse and make it a lifetime of devotion. Make it so that every day you can look and you can say, yes, I'm doing what I should do. We have the worship team come up. Normally we would end in a prayer, but instead, similar to what Rick did, we're going to sing Sonic Flood's song again. And the reason for that is that is the prayer. He stole my thunder, to be honest, without talking to me. But that is our prayer. Leadership for everybody. We want you to know God more. Not only that, we want you to know that after service, if you want, there's a prayer room right around the corner, out through the door. Laurel Logan cleaned it out. If you need a time to pray by yourself, you'd like to meet with a member of leadership to pray about your spiritual walk or getting to know Christ, we want you to do that. Whatever it takes to get to know God more. But today starts the day where we, as Prairie View, start to move on. We're asking you to join us with it. We're asking you to be committed to that. We're excited as leaders. We know God has kept us here for 19 years, not just putting along, but we're a financially stable church that has done great things. But it's time for us to take it to the next level.